It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Welcome back, everyone, to our agriculture conversations on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. And today we have two separate guests that will be joining us throughout today's conversations. The first will be Secretary of Agriculture Tom Dilsack, who joins us for an exclusive conversation on the Biden administration's American Families Plan. We talk wildfire, the 30 by 30 plan, transparency in the cattle markets, and more. Then we'll be joined by Republican U.S. Senator Mike Rounds from the great state of South Dakota. He will be discussing his bipartisan efforts to protect consumers and cattlemen. And we discuss the cattle markets, how the weather is doing in South Dakota, and also touch on those same items that we discussed with the Secretary of Agriculture as well. Stay with us. We'll be back with the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack right after this. NCBA believes cattle and beef producers are the original stewards of America's land, air, and water resources. As the stewards of those resources, NCBA knows your rights and your legacy are under constant threat from government overreach and other threats, but we're working in the nation's capital every day so you can focus on what matters most. If you are a member, we thank you for your support. If you're not a member, we'd like you to join us. Just call 1-866-BEEF-USA or visit ncba.org to join today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special report and conversation that we are having with the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary Tom Vilsack. He is joining us from Mount Pleasant, Iowa today. And Mr. Secretary, as I look out my window here in Montana, we are receiving much needed moisture in the form of rain and snow and slush. As a, as a producer myself, we always ask our neighbors, how's the weather your way? So how is the weather down in your neck of the woods? Well, it's rainy. Uh, and of course, we've needed the rain. Uh, and, uh, you know, we want to be thankful for the rain. There are many parts of the country that uh, currently don't have enough water uh, resources. And so uh, we're fortunate here in the Midwest that uh, we're, we're continuing to get the kind of rain uh, uh, that is necessary for a good crop. Uh, so hopefully farmers will be able to get back in the fields very, very soon. Mr. Secretary, across uh, the nation, as we uh, watch TV and uh, watch these headlines, so much discussion surrounding the American Families Plan, the $1.8 trillion package uh, proposed by the Biden administration just a few weeks back. As we look at this, what should rural Montanans and rural Americans, farmers, ranchers, and landowners be aware of? And what is your pitch to rural America as we look at this and, uh, and as the Biden administration works with Congress on this proposal? Well, Lane, I think you have to recognize the context of the American Families Plan. Even before the pandemic, I think a lot of families, middle-class families, uh, working families, were having a very difficult time making ends meet. Uh, the expense of college, the expense of childcare, uh, healthcare insurance, and so forth, made it very hard for people to feel like they were getting ahead. And I think the American Families Plan is designed to do two very important things. First, to provide help and assistance to families so they can, in fact, make it. And then secondly, creating the opportunity for us to have a, an economy that is competitive and able to meet the challenges of the future. Now, the way we do this in the American Families Plan is by providing families assistance with uh, more affordable health insurance, uh, with more affordable childcare, uh, with the opportunity to have a paid family medical leave if there's a, a, an issue that requires uh, attention in the family, uh, an opportunity to provide nutrition assistance for uh, families that are struggling for their children during the summer months to 
complement and supplement the uh, school meals that kids get uh, at, at school. All that designed to make it a little bit easier for families to make ends meet. On the competitive uh, economy side, it's really about education, about extending the education both on the front end and on the back end. Two years of uh, early childhood universal uh, quality pre-K uh, being available to uh, individuals and to families, and then two years of community college tuition free available to individuals. Allowing those individuals either to get the certificate and training and experience that allows them to enter the workforce immediately and make a difference, or maybe make it just a little bit easier for those families to afford the cost uh, of, uh, of college, of a four-year college program. Tax credits uh, being made available to families, which will reduce their income tax responsibilities, child credit, uh, child care and dependent tax credit, reducing their income tax. So an important consideration for middle uh, and working families. Now, the question is who pays for it? <clears throat> Very simply, the wealthiest of Americans pay for it. Um, and we're simply just asking the wealthiest Americans to pay their fair share, uh, as the rest of America has been doing for quite some time. Uh, and the reality is that no one who is making more than uh, $400,000 or people who are making more than $400,000 are those who are going to be paying for this. People that make less than that uh, will not see their taxes increased. And as you mentioned about looking at that price tag and, and how the plan is proposing right now to be uh, paid for, uh, farmers and ranchers very concerned. Uh, when you look at Ag Twitter, a lot of talk online about how this plan could potentially impact uh, agriculture operations. Now, USDA has uh, made a, a promise that there will be an exemption of sorts for farmers and ranchers when we looked at the stepped up basis and other items. But uh, when we look at all all of this, uh, we, we hear a lot of folks saying, well, a promise is different than actual legislation and work on Capitol Hill. What, what is your response to that? Well, the, the plan is crafted. Uh, the president wanted to make sure that we pay for uh, this plan, uh, that we're not adding it to the deficit. And I think farmers and ranchers and people in rural America will appreciate that. As far as the stepped up basis is concerned, here are a couple of things that farmers and ranchers need to know. This will be in the plan. This will be in the legislation. Uh, first of all, uh, if you are a, a farm family uh, and the mom and dad pass away and pass the farm on to their children and their children continue to own the farm and operate the farm, then there is no uh, impact of stepped up basis. There's no capital gains uh, that needs to be collected at that point in time. It's just business as usual. Uh, if the uh, children decide to sell the farm, uh, then the stepped up basis does get triggered. However, there is a million dollar per person exemption, uh, which means that you would have for a couple would have to have more than $2 million of gain before you would have any tax responsibility or liability. We've calculated between those two issues of being able to operate the farm without having uh, uh, any tax implication and the million dollar per person exemption that 98 and a half percent of farms and ranches in this country will not be impacted or affected by this at all. Again, it is the wealthiest of Americans who are being asked to pay their fair share to be able to provide help and assistance to middle uh, class and working, uh, working families. Now, another issue that farmers and ranchers are concerned about is uh, the Biden administration's work on the 30 by 30 proposal. And uh, a lot of folks in the countryside are calling it a federal land grab. 
What is USDA's response to this and uh, what uh, work do you believe needs to be done to reach out to farmers and ranchers from the administration's uh, proposal itself? Well, first of all, the 30 by 30 plan was was actually formed uh, based on outreach to farmers and ranchers. Uh, there was a, a, a significant amount of activity prior to the issuance of the report asking farmers and ranchers uh, what they would want to have in the plan. I think what's important for people to recognize is the principles, the foundation upon which this plan is built. Number one, voluntary conservation, which is what we're already doing. It's just a matter of trying to do more and making sure that we give credit to those that are engaged in voluntary conservation. Two, respecting private property rights. This is not about a land grab. This is about basically working with farmers to create incentives and resources that will encourage them to do what they are already doing, which is to be stewards of land and water. Uh, three, not top down, but bottom up. These are locally driven conservation efforts. Uh, this is not Washington DC dictating what needs to be done. It's folks in Montana deciding what they want to be done. So when you read things like the CRP and EQIP and CSP and making sure that we continue to expand and measure and track the work that's being done on private working lands, then you realize that those who are expressing concerns about this really don't have a basis for doing so. Finally, my last area, of course, we are receiving moisture right now, but wildfires are a top concern for residents across the West, these severe drought conditions that we continue to see in our U.S. drought monitors. What are some of the work that USDA and the Forest Service will be addressing here, including the input and work from farmers and ranchers who are uh, federal lands uh, grazers playing a role in that management? Well, here's the reality. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of hazardous fuel buildup uh, that needs to be removed from our forests in a way that would reduce the risk of these catastrophic wildfires. Fires are going to happen. Uh, there's no question about that. And the question is whether we can contain them and make sure that they don't uh, jeopardize property and, and more importantly, life. Uh, to do that requires resources. Uh, and the president's budget submitted to Congress recently uh, uh, contained a significant increase and the amount of resources for forest ma uh, management. Uh, so we should be able to begin picking up the pace uh, of this effort uh, in our forest uh, to make them uh, more resilient to, to reduce the risk. But you know, one year of funding isn't gonna do it. Uh, it's gonna require multiple years of funding, a, a decade, if you will, of funding. That's why the American Jobs Plan, which complements the American Families Plan is important because it contains resiliency uh, uh, investments that will allow us to do an, a long-term uh, commitment of forest restoration. Uh, so first and foremost, that's key. Secondly, pre-positioning assets, uh, making sure that we have the personnel, the equipment in place where we think the risk is highest so we can respond as quickly as possible. Uh, and that's being done right now. Uh, over 15,000 firefighters uh, now, uh, uh, we're figuring out where to, where to station those folks. Uh, uh, air tankers, 35 air tankers, uh, hundreds of engines, uh, lots of dirt, dirt moving equipment being pre-positioned in communities across the country so we can better prepare. And then finally, making sure that we have strong partnerships with the state and local firefighting communities uh, so that we can leverage our resources, coordinate our efforts to make sure we can respond as quickly as possible to a fire. 
And uh, I said that was my last question, but just one more area, Mr. Secretary. We're seeing uh, issues, of course, with uh, exports in terms of having containers available to ship product uh, overseas. We're seeing a shortage of net wrap and a bailing twine. Uh, what are some of the tools or resources producers can find through USDA or maybe some of the initiatives the department will work on in helping producers get this next harvest uh, taken care of in a timely manner? Well, we're obviously concerned about the container and port issue and express those concerns to the Department of Transportation. Uh, Secretary Buttigieg is uh, very much aware of this. We actually had a conversation earlier this week about this very topic. Uh, and we both have approached the U.S. Maritime Commission uh, that has the capacity and the tools to basically uh, put pressure uh, on, on the shippers to begin uh, readjusting uh, the way in which they are currently handling cargo. Uh, we want to make sure that our agricultural products uh, get to get to market. We want to make sure that we have access uh, to, to whatever we need uh, for that harvest. Uh, so we're going to continue to focus on the levers uh, that, that have jurisdiction of this issue. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, it's important for us to uh, obviously focus on exports, uh, which we are. I've been speaking to a number of ag ministers around the world, uh, making sure that we uh, continue to focus on exports. We're, we're projecting. Uh, a record year of exports, and we've already seen some pretty significant sales. Uh, my concern, uh, frankly, is that we put a lot of our uh, eggs, if you will, uh, in the China basket, uh, and I think we need to make sure that we are diversified in our efforts on exports so that we're not overly dependent on a single uh, market. Well, again, uh, China, a, a big topic in the countryside with corn prices continuing to rise as those shipments go to to China as they stock up on those reserves. Secretary Vilsack, I, I will let you get back to your day, but uh, any last comments or thoughts you'd like to share with uh, Montana's farmers and ranchers today? Well, uh, President Biden understands the importance and significance of, of uh, and the challenges that farmers and ranchers face. And I think he's gonna continue to work uh, through the Department of Agriculture to find new, more and better market opportunities. And that's part of our goal uh, you know, one of the issues that we didn't talk about today is the need for open and transparent markets. I know those in the cattle industry are very concerned about this. We are as well. Uh, and I think over the course of the next several months, you're going to see the Department of Agriculture being aggressive in this space, uh, looking for ways in which we can create more openness, more transparency, and maybe even more competition for, uh, for that rancher product. So uh, hopefully that will make a difference in the long run. Uh, speaking of that, any updates from the Department of Justice as we look at that investigation into the possible market manipulation? Well, no, no updates specifically about that investigation, but I have had an opportunity to uh, visit with the Attorney General Garland and making sure that, that he understands uh, the importance uh, of this issue uh, of antitrust, making sure that as the Department of Justice looks at remedies in cases that they bring, uh, that they're very creative, uh, understanding and appreciating uh, the impact on producers and consumers. Uh, we need to work and will work with them, uh, but we also have resources within the USDA uh, that we're looking at uh, stronger enforcement, uh, greater price discovery, uh, and again, uh, looking ways in which we might be able to help uh, existing processing capacity, uh, particularly small uh, and mid-sized processing facilities, uh, get through this very uh, difficult pandemic period, but also potentially growing additional processing uh, facilities uh, throughout the country. So I, I, we're going to be uh, very focused on this over the course of the next few months. Well, again, thank you so much to Secretary of Agriculture Tom Bilsack for discussing many of these important issues that are on the top of Montana farmers, ranchers, and rural citizens. Thank you so much for your time here today, Mr. Secretary.
Thank you. And after this short commercial break, we'll be back with U.S. Senator Mike Rounds from South Dakota after this. As a Montana Farm Bureau member, you have access to a lot of valuable benefits. Now you can have your savings on the go with the Farm Bureau Member Benefits app. The app will show you where you can use your membership discounts with Granger, Case IH, Choice Hotels, John Deere, and more. Plus, with the app, your membership card is on your phone for easy access. It's free. Download the app today. Simply go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Farm Bureau Benefits app. Montana Farm Bureau, we care for the country. As we return back today, we are joined by U.S. Senator Mike Rounds from the great state of South Dakota. Senator Rounds, how are things out in the Beltway here today? Well, it's uh, as I was telling you earlier, it's uh, time for us to head out of Washington, D.C. and head back to our home states. So it's a good day here. Uh, there's no rain in the forecast here right now, but we're hoping we get a little bit of rain back in the Midwest. No, we definitely need moisture. As I mentioned before we started recording that Montana is receiving uh, this much needed moisture, but until it's consistent throughout the spring and summer, I'm, uh, I'm still, uh, still worried about those uh, severe drought conditions across uh, the Midwest and Northern Plains. Nothing wrong with a little bit of prayer. No, no, none at all. And uh, Senator, as you make your way uh, throughout uh, the state of South Dakota and also out in the Beltway, uh, I know a lot of concerns are raised uh, with from the livestock industry, especially in your state and the surrounding region in terms of uh, uh, price transparency, issues within uh, cattle marketing. And uh, today uh, you uh, announced a effort to protect consumers and cattle producers, uh, a bipartisan effort with uh, Senator Tina Smith from Minnesota. Could you talk about this effort to protect both consumers and cattlemen and what you hope to achieve with it? Yeah, what, we're, what we've done is uh, created a letter to the Attorney General, Merrick Garland. It's not the first letter that's gone to him, or it's not the first letter that we've sent. But over the last year, we've sent multiple letters in asking for a review of the antitrust laws and whether or not there is a violation of those laws uh, with the concentration of packers in the United States, the four major packers uh, holding about 80 to 85% of the processing market in, in, in our country today. So what we've asked is based upon not just the fact that we've seen uh, cattle producers with low prices, prices that literally won't even support the cost of production, while at the same time we're seeing substantially higher prices in the grocery stores for consumers in the middle there sits the packer and the packers margins have continued to be very, very high. It's more than enough to not only pick up their expenses, but for them to do very, very well with their own profits. Uh, but it's time to find out whether or not we have a fair livestock marketing program in the United States and whether or not our laws are being followed. Uh, this particular letter goes a little bit farther than other letters have in the past. We've actually taken the time to show the trends in the industry to show what the inputs are, and to show what's happened from before mandatory country of a uh, mandatory country uh, of origin labeling was in effect, and then what happened after mandatory country of origin labeling was taken out, and what's happened to the pricing on it. Uh, it's not so much that this letter is pushing that it's not pushing MCOR right now. What it's saying is 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 we think there's a problem in the marketing of beef in the United States today, and it all falls back on the concentration of packing in our country today. So what we're asking is that uh, the attorney general consider not just the impact on people that are, are you know, the cow-calf operators, the feeders, the backgrounders and so forth, but we're also asking him to consider uh, 
what's happening in the grocery store as well with boxed beef up at very, very high prices and so forth. We're asking them to consider that this is not just a farm country problem. This is a nationwide problem when it comes to the price of food and consumers are paying a higher price uh, based upon the difference between what cattle producers are getting paid and what they're paying at the grocery store, a substantially higher price than what we think they should. And so this is going a little bit deeper into it. And we think we're providing evidence to the attorney general to either continue on with an investigation that we had hoped he had started last year, or if not, or if it's been delayed to expedite that investigation this year. Now, speaking of the investigation, of course, that was a joint effort initially by USDA and the Department of Justice looking into the Tyson beef plant fires uh, from, was that 2019 already? And then also the impact that uh, the prices went through due to the pandemic uh, over a year ago at this point. Um, we're, we're into over a year and a half of waiting for that. I know last week, all the major livestock slash agriculture organizations did in fact have a meeting. Groups that uh, may not be able to sit down at a table most of the time did come together, came out with those three objectives that I know my listeners and viewers have have learned about uh, with us sharing that news. Um, what uh, what are you hearing out on the hill in terms of that uh, DOJ investigation? Will it, was it put on the back burner with the change in administrations? Is there just is there more that they're uncovering? What 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 is your gut feeling and what are, what are you hearing from your sources out on the hill? The Department of Justice does not talk about ongoing investigations. Anecdotally, what we know is last year. Um, some folks in North Dakota notified their Congress people that they had been contacted by the DOJ and asked for information on, on market pricing with livestock. That's the only information that we have at this point that would suggest that there was actually an investigation going on. But you're correct. Uh, administrations have changed. Mary Garland is the new attorney general. I'm, I met with him. Um, I'm a Republican. He's a Democrat, but I met with him when he was being considered for the United States Supreme Court. Uh, and, and I told him when he came back in this time that um, I, I believe that the president should have his ability to determine who his attorney general should be and that I was gonna support him uh, as the attorney general in the United States. And I was gonna do it as a Republican supporting the president's wishes. And that I did have one request and that was that he seriously consider uh, a, an investigation into the antitrust uh, activities and the concentration within the packing market. And I did that to, to gauge his interests. And he explained to me that one of his special areas of interest was antitrust law when he was, when he was uh, uh, in school. And so I'm hoping that uh, this contact will reinforce our interest in pursuing and finding out whether or not either, number one, there is a violation of antitrust laws and we do have a concentration that should be addressed. Or number two, that our antitrust laws are not up to um, regulating this industry and that we need to make changes in it. One or the other has to happen. We can't continue on. Our producers are to the point where they're not gonna make it. And if our producers don't make it, think about what's gonna happen to the consumer when their beef starts coming only from overseas. You know, in, in the United States today, we have cheap food policies. Um, we're, we're, if you look at the makeup of the department of the ag committee, just in the house of representatives, think about this for a second. Our farmers and ranchers think that the ag committees are basically there to promote agriculture. 
But let me just share with you kind of what it looks like. I'm just going to go down the list of states that are represented in the House of Representatives um, as ag committees, as ag committee members. The, and they're in the majority in the, in the House, remember. The chairman is from a suburb of Atlanta. And then after that, you have a member from California, Massachusetts, Texas, North Carolina, Virginia, Connecticut, New York, Illinois, uh, Maryland, uh, Alabama, New Hampshire, Illinois, New York, US Virgin Islands, Arizona, California, California, Florida, California, Minnesota, California, Iowa, Washington, California, Arizona, and Georgia. My point being, a lot of the folks that are on that committee are not necessarily championing for producers. Their interest is in making sure that the food stamp program works, which, you know, basically runs, could be running as much as 80% of the, of the farm bill. So these are the types of things that go on within the discussions in Washington, DC. And what we need now is to get consumers directly involved, going to their members of Congress saying, this affects me too. And so we're trying to get this letter to come from more than just the nine states in the upper Midwest that have more cattle in them than they do people. Because even if all those folks got their senators to come on board, represents 5% of the population of the country. It would be 18 members out of 100 members in the United States Senate. We need more horsepower than that if we're going to get something done. You know, other issues that farmers and ranchers are discussing as I travel the countryside and stop by uh, livestock markets and, and resist buying more cattle so I don't get in trouble at home, uh, are, are the concerns uh, with some initiatives and proposed policies and legislation from the Biden administration. Just this morning, I, I did uh, interview uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Bilsack, and, and he was on the stump for the Biden administration's American Families Plan. The nation learned more about that from the uh, the, the joint session of Congress uh, where, uh, um, again, not all members uh, were able to attend that. And President Biden uh, talked about the, the plan itself. Again, that price tag, I know you're familiar with that, but for our listeners, $1.8 trillion. And they're proposing to expand uh, child nutrition assistance, uh, free community colleges, universal pre-K, paid family, medical leave, and extend the Affordable Care Act subsidies. And uh, again, a big question that I received from farmers and ranchers is how are we going to pay for this? The administration responds by uh, increasing taxes on the wealthy and corporations. And uh, they have made a promise, uh, USDA has made a promise that farmers and ranchers and other family-owned businesses will be exempt or protected from a, a change or removal of the stepped-up basis or changes to the death tax. What is your take on that? As I mentioned to the secretary, there's a, there's a difference between a promise and actual legislation. That's right. Look, look the, the places where they're planning on going to get the money simply won't pay the bill. And I do think that we've got to be very careful when we talk stepped-up basis. There's folks here in Washington that think that uh, if you inherit land, you shouldn't inherit it at, at a stepped-up basis, that you, that you should uh, pay a difference on it uh, as almost like a capital gains, a realization of it. Now they say, well, but don't worry if you're a small guy. But they're talking about folks that at that point uh, might very well be inheriting their family farm or ranch. And if you take a look at the value of land right now, it doesn't take much to reach a million dollars in terms of the value uh, of even the smallest of acreages anymore. 
And so uh, I, I don't think that they're, that they're being honest. I, I had a conversation with a fellow that hadn't done a whole lot of estate planning a few years ago. And he, and he asked me, he says, well, why would, why would the president at that time, you know, want, want me to, to, you know, why would he want any part of my estate? I'm just a small farmer. And I said, you don't understand. Uh, you're, top, you're part of the 1% when you talk about assets. And those assets may not be giving you a huge return on investment right now, but if you're going to farm and you're going to ranch, you've got to have land. And that land is not liquid. And if you're going to pay a tax because you've just inherited a piece of land, you're probably going to have to have to liquidate part of the family farm to do it. And that's the message we're trying to send out there is, is this isn't going to be as easy as they think it is. And most certainly Republicans have shared that we don't think it's the right thing to do to break up businesses that are operational. We think we should be trying to encourage businesses to go out and to grow and expand and then make money on a growing economy, not on the size or to liquidate part of the assets that are there already. Also, um, as I travel the countryside, the uh, Biden administration's 30 by 30 or to conserve 30 percent more land and water by the year 2030. Um, it's being labeled as a land grab by many uh, uh, private property and uh, rights advocates and farmers and ranchers and landowners in general are very concerned about this. Uh, Secretary Vilsack just discussed that it is not a land grab, but uh, they see it as a voluntary program and they want to work towards conservation efforts uh, from your perspective coming from an agriculture state and probably hearing quite a lot about this issue, a lot of concern uh, from the citizens in South Dakota. What is your take on the 3030? Uh, what are some efforts of actually having some dialogue? Because I know agriculture groups have been very vocal that they need to be a part of this. Yeah, look, if, if we're talking about ways in which ag can participate, CRP, Conservation Reserve, is a good proposal. If you pay folks an appropriate amount of money, and if you allow them to be able to access that grass when they need to access the grass for emergency purposes or during a drought and so forth, a lot of folks might very well see that as a cash crop that they might be able to utilize and it might help them survive some tough times, particularly during a drought. So there's some, there's some promise there. We know that the CRP back in the 1980s and the 1990s worked fairly well, but when you started dropping the price or making it more difficult, it, then it, you know, there weren't as many people that, that could afford to get into the program. Uh, I like CRP because it's voluntary. And if it stayed that way, then I have an interest in working with the administration. What bothers me is when they start talking about easements that are perpetual, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we could ever make. And in fact, I, on a regular basis, stand back and stop legislation going through that continues to fund or that tries to fund a permanent easements. I think one of the worst things a grandfather could do is to put a permanent easement on a piece of land that a grandson or a granddaughter later on might very well have to do something with. And I do not wish having U.S. Fish and Wildlife be the neighbor of any member of a farming community ever. Because those folks, while some of them may be good, they have a tendency to be a real tough neighbor to get along with if they decide that they want to uh, change their mind later on. And so I don't like the idea of permanent easements. I like the idea of easements that make the federal government be a good neighbor if they want to have an easement and make it such that if they don't behave themselves, they can get kicked out of the neighborhood. Uh, Senator Mike Grounds again joining us here today. Senator, I know uh, you'll be heading uh, back west here uh, this afternoon, uh, uh, wrapping up the week in the Beltway, but any last thoughts or comments or some, maybe some optimism to, to share with our audience here today? I just tell folks, look, number one, it's great to have associations that represent your interests. We want them working with each other. Um, and there may be differing points of view, but 
rather than, than, than having crossfire, we need to we need to branch out, agree on those items, and start bringing in consumers and sending a message to consumers that we need their help, and it's for their own good because they're not going to find producers that are producing livestock in the United States for very many more years if we can't get to the bottom of where the money's going that they're paying at the grocery store. And so that's part of the message. And the other part on it is, is this, uh, we are in this together. And if we talk about national security, food security is a huge part of it. And we should never forget that, particularly after this pandemic, when we think about all of the items that we grow or that we expect to come in from overseas, the last thing in the world we need to do is to export our ability to feed ourselves. Again, Senator Mike Rounds joining us here today. We just like to thank him for his time discussing his efforts to protect not only consumers, but cattle producers out across the countryside. Senator, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. And with that, friends, thank you for joining us for these agriculture conversations on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.